0: The Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Luxury fragrance brands have long been known for their reliance on big celebrity brand ambassadors. That's all changed with the rise of niche fragrance brands that are finding success on their own terms. Take Maison Francis Kurjahn for example. The fragrance house's Baccarat Rouge 540 has earned cult status without a single official celebrity ad campaign. That doesn't mean celebrities don't hype it up. Olivia Rodrigo wears it, while Drake has been rumored to. The hashtag for the fragrance has received over 377 million views on TikTok to date, and it was listed among the fragrance success highlights in parent company LVMH's annual financial report for 2022. For this week's episode, the brand's CEO, Mark Chaya, joins the podcast to share the story of its growth. He talks about how he co-founded it with Francis Kurjan, the ways in which the brand is disrupting traditional gender norms for fragrance, the details on how Baccarat Rouge 540 became such a massive hit... And why the brand doesn't work with traditional celebrity ambassadors. Here's the interview Mark, thank you for being here.
1: It's a pleasure, Liz. Good to see you again.
0: So, Mark, the brand was created in 2009. To start off, let's go back to the early days. What were you doing before this, and how did you first meet Francis?
1: Before this I was a consultant I was working with a global firm called EY and I was doing strategy finance marketing and I was in charge of the global telecommunication at EY as a global telecoms markets leader so nothing to do with the beautiful uh, world of fragrance creation uh, I met Francis uh, at my early days at EY I was it was back in 2003 uh, I met him at a dinner party and as you do at parties, you ask people that you meet, you know, what they do in life. And he told me that he was a perfumer. And I had no clue what a perfumer was. So I continued the conversation, tried to understand better and learned that he was the artist and the talent behind the creation of Jean-Paul Gaultier Le Mal, which was the best-selling men's scent at the time and a scent that, that my mom had given me for my 19th birthday when it was released. He had created many scents that I would use as as a person, for example, uh, Elizabeth Arthur Green Tea or Armani Mania, and some others. And I was very surprised to learn that a perfumer existed and and what they did. Uh, That's how we met. Before uh, that, I was born and raised uh, in Lebanon, Beirut. I had always wanted to be in the arts field, I wanted to be an architect. I dreamt as a kid to be a ballet dancer. I dreamt to play, uh, you know, music. And unfortunately, because of the war and the situation, my parents could not afford to enroll me in any artistic uh, class. But also because it was a very conservative society, male could not really go into art. Art was the field of collectors. You had to be a businessman. You had to be a doctor, an engineer or uh, a finance person, and then uh, build your career and collect art. So that's what I eventually uh, did. I, Under the guidance of my dad, I went into business school and economics, and I ended up working for a, gl- a global consultancy firm uh, before crossing the path with Francis.
0: So tell me about the story of the brand creation. When did you come up with the idea to start the brand?
1: So Maison Francis Curgeon is eponymous of Francis Curgeon a globally celebrated perfumer today. Uh, So we're not a brand, we are an eponymous fragrance house. The whole purpose of us starting the brand is to allow Francis Curgeon, one of the most talented perfumers in in our history, to be able to express his vision freely. It, It seems very natural today, but you need to understand that at the time we decided to create Maison Francis Curgeon, there was a boom in our industry, in a segment that was ultra-luxury fragrance, which we also very commonly use, the name niche segment to qualify this segment, there was a boom in this in this industry. People were starting companies every other day, but most of the environment was marketing-driven. It was all about concepts, storytelling, packaging, design, and the scent as well as the fragrance would only be a component of a bigger story, a bigger concept. For us, it was more about the scent. It was all about the scent. It was about enabling one of the greatest talents out there to express a creative vision freely and to use marketing at the service of creativity. So we're not really a brand. We are a living house where you have teams, collaboration, conversation with other artists. It's... it's very similar to what you have today in the field of fashion and couture where you have an in-house designer. And it's very uncommon in the fragrance industry where currently still today, most of the ways of operating is based on marketing and where creativity is still at the service of marketing and marketing concept. At Maison Francisca Jean, creativity is everywhere. It's the beating heart and our marketing is only there to amplify uh, the creation story.
0: And walk us through the brand's first products. What were the concepts of the earliest fragrances?
1: So when we when we started the Maison, when we started the company, it was not about a product. It was about a perfume life 24-7. The idea that we had was to create a world that was uplifting and joyful and where people could live an uplifting journey through fragrance. So we started with our own boutique in Paris on Rue d'Alger, very close to the Tuileries Garden and Place Vendôme. And in the boutique, we had a full collection of perfumes in our fragrance collections. We had Aqua Universalis, which was designed by Francis back in 2009, APOM, which stands for a part of myself, a part of yourself that you live with others, Lumière Noire, as well as two colons, pour le matin and pour le soir, which which are a colon for the morning and a colon for the evening. And then every one of these scents would be then interpreted in a candle. Every one of these stories had a candle. Every one of these stories would have a scented leather bracelet. Aqua Universalis had scented detergent and fabric softener. We had scented bubbles for kids. So it was a fully immersive universe where you could live your relationship to your scent, 24-7. And this is why we were creating this universe of a perfume scent 24-7.
0: And tell me about the business side of the brand development process. What kind of demand did you see for niche luxury fragrances at the time?
1: The, The demand was very important. The demand was from all levels. It was demand from department stores who could no longer compete with the likes of, you know, global companies such as Sephora that were proximity stores, you know, in New York or in any other city where Sephora is. You don't have to travel far to reach your Sephora. However, you know, if you live uh, in Dallas and you were to go to Neiman Marcus, you have to travel to North Park or to Widowbank to get to, to your Neiman Marcus. And so department stores could no longer offer the same beauty a product as Sephora because there was no purpose for their customers to travel to a destination location and find the same product that they could find close to their home. So department stores started looking for more unique, more creative concept which the niche segment was bringing. But of course, of course, customers as well were looking for uniqueness. They were looking for more elaborated stories. They were looking for more beautiful, more well-crafted products, and especially since that they would only... Find in a limited number of locations so that they could feel unique. However, again, as I said, this whole industry was based on marketing and on concepts. And when we decided to enter this segment, we were very, we were like orphans in this vision. I had to explain to everyone from the product specialists working on the counter to my business partners to my team what a perfumer is and what we stand for. When when you say to people we're not a niche brand at the beginning, they can't really understand or get it because they, the same way I did not know what a perfumer is and that creating a scent is a genuine act of art. You don't actually just combine essential oils with the idea that you would eventually come up with a nice scent. You see the scent in your mind as a perfumer and as a creator Mm -hmm. and you then use technique to execute on a combination of essential oils to reveal the scent that you have in your mind, the same way a sculptor would remove the excess Mm -hmm. of marble to reveal a shape that she or he has in her or his mind when they are sculpting a piece of marble to to get to a shape. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when we started the Maison, we were part of this boom of niche fragrance, but because we were weak in marketing and very strong in creativity, we had to adapt and we had to build a very strong marketing that was at the service of our creativity and not the other way around we were not there to put our creativity at the service of consumer of customer you know surveys and customer concepts and research we were only here to use the genuinity and the power of marketing to amplify the beautiful genuine creative stories that we had
0: And what about retail? Did you go straight into department stores? And what retail environment did you envision the fragrances being sold in?
1: What was very important to us was experience and the quality of the journey in a retail location. Mm -hmm. We knew that we did not want to open a a very wide, quickly a very wide uh, retail and distribution network. We started with our own boutique. In the U.S. at the time, I remember as if it was yesterday, we had meetings with uh, many department stores and we had a meeting with Barneys. And uh, at the time, the the head of buying, the, the head of beauty at Barneys came you know, to us saying, you know, we want Maison Francis-Curgeon. And at Barneys, you would find beautiful niche brands. And most of the niche brands and most of the uh, highly celebrated at the time niche brands were being sold at Barneys. Mm-hmm. They had a gigantic Fragrance bar where all of these brands would be, and some of them would even have counters. And to me, this was not the place where I wanted to be. So they handed me a contract with a with a commitment to buy a million dollar in year one. Which, as a young entrepreneur, and when you start up your business, it's a lot of money, and it could be very, you know, exciting to say you I got myself a deal and I'm going to go to Barney's where everyone is. And we decided to go to Neiman's and Bergdorf because we. I found that at Niemann's and Bergdorf, the brand assortment was more selective. It was more artistic. It was more designer-driven. At the time, uh, brands such as Malone, Tom Ford, and Creed, uh, and only these brands were at Niemann's. Niemann's were, we, con- we saw that Niemann's were brand builders, that they respected time and that they understood that only with time you could build true story and genuine stories. Beautiful brands such as Christian Dior were born and developed in the US through Neiman Marcus. And so for, for us, for me, it was an evidence that this was the place where I wanted to be. And so we opened our boutique in Paris. And simultaneously, a few days after, Francis and I flew to L.A. where we opened Neiman Marcus in Beverly Hills. Then Francis went to Chicago to set up the counter at Neiman Marcus uh, in Chicago. And I went to New York to set up the counter at Bergdorf Goodman. Uh, and that was the start of our journey in the U.S. Uh, 16, nearly 16 years ago. Uh, and today we are in over 140 dollars in the U.S. We are, of course, with Niemans, with Saks, Bloomingdale's, and Nordstrom's, but we are also a key anchor brand uh, with these department stores. We are number one, three-axis. We're number one beauty brand at Neiman's and Saks. We're number one fragrance brands at uh, Bloomingdale and in the top three beauty. And we are in the top five at Nordstrom, although we only have a few doors out of their very wide uh, number of, you know, point of distribution. So this was uh, this was the journey in terms of retail in the US.
0: And it's interesting to hear you talk about the creative process and the art. Did you wanna talk about the relationship between the commercial considerations and the art when a fragrance is being developed? At what point does the business side come in and participate in that conversation?
1: It is a constant dialogue between both, and I do not oppose one to another. Uh, a creative idea is, by essence, free. A creative idea is, by essence, visionary. If you keep asking people what they want, you will never surprise them. You will never be able to get this smile on their face, and you will never be able to come with innovation. Creators are there to come up with extraordinary new ideas, with extraordinary sensitivity. Businesses. is Indeed, much more, you know, it's narrower and you have deadlines and you have obligations, etc. But the idea is never to oppose one to another and to create an ecosystem where they can both constantly be in a constructive dialogue. Uh, if a creative idea is not yet ready, there is no purpose to make it happen and, and market it because it's not going to be worth it. If Francis hasn't finished creating a scent and we haven't finished the whole story about it. We cannot market it. So we have in the past, and I think we will in the future postpone launches, unlike any other brand where you come up with your marketing plans three years in advance, you announce all that to your retail partners, and you execute on a long term plan. This is what we try to do. Of course, we have long term marketing plans. But we also know that creativity is not a linear process like businesses. And we know that in order for both to work together, you have to accept, create, Francis has to accept that there are deadlines in business and there are ways of working in business the same way the business has to accept that creativity is not linear and that there could be ups and downs and that, you know, a story is not finished until you know that it's finished. And so, what we bring to the table, both of us, which I believe is very unique, is this constant check and balance between the sense of purpose for business and the sense of purpose for creativity.
0: And tell me about the gender neutral concept. 2009 doesn't seem like it was too long ago, but how disruptive was it to have a gender neutral fragrance brand in the luxury market? Obviously, gender neutral fragrances existed, but were they less common then compared to now? Where was the market at?
1: You know, the the fragrance and gender is about convention, and it's about social convention. It is not about creation. It's a bit like fashion. If you go back in time, men in Europe in the 17th or 18th century would wear wigs. They would put powder on their a face, they would have, uh, you know, uh, embroidery on their shirt, and they would have high heels. And these were synonym of masculinity. Back in the 17th century, women would wear more woody scents, which to today's standard or to yesterday's standards, they, these were considered to be more, more masculine. Uh, if you take a piece of silk and you cut it into a tie, you would say this is a man's attribute. And if you cut it into a, a scarf, you would say this is more woman's. And our society is evolving. And as a woman, you can wear a man's scent and fear, feel perfectly fine and perf- perfectly uh, sexy in it. And it could fit your person- your personality perfectly the same way you can wear your husband's or your boyfriends or your brother's or anyone's, you know, any made shirt and, and be very elegant in it. Our society is evolving towards equality between uh, women and men. We are, uh, uh, thankfully, no longer considering that, you know, this is more, uh, you know, this, this job is more for him and this job is more for her and this color is more for him and this color is more for her. However, whatever we say, there are still certain scent families that are more associated with sensitivity, with delicacy, with Softness, and these are more, to our current standards, considered as feminine attributes. And when something is more you know, powerful, strong, etc., it's considered to be more masculine. But this is not necessarily the case. So when you say genderless or unisex, it is by convention to the social standard at the time we live and at the level of evolution of our society. Gender-neutral scents are usually fresh scents because, you know, Freshness has no gender, but mm-hmm. both men and women want to feel uh, very fresh. If I give you a rose scent, in most cultures, rose is you know the, the synonym of femininity and it is this you know the the the, the emblem almost of femininity. Uh, when we created a la rose, it was a woman scent, and when Francis desi- decided to create l'homme a la rose, which is the man with the rose. He decided to break the convention and to give man the power also to wear a rose. And actually, Lom à la rose could be totally gender-neutral. We decided to call it lom simply because we wanted to show that rose was not simply destined to be appreciated by uh, women. Gentle fluidity, which is a duo of scent that we created back in 2016, was also the reaction of Francis to the debate that we had in our society about the concept of gender, uh, about the concept of, you know, how is the notion of gender evolving in our society where maybe men can wear makeup without becoming necessarily a woman. Maybe men can wear more feminine clothing without necessarily turning his back on his masculinity, where women can be perfectly feminine but be CEOs and not have to pretend or act like men in order to exude assurance and power and authority. The, the world is changing very fast and Francis thought that fragrance is also the reflection of our society. So by creating two scents that are carry the same name, gentle fluidity, instead of gender, we turned it into gentle. Gentle fluidity, where you would decide which one Correspond better to your emotion and to your identity. They both carry exactly the same ingredients, but they were mixed to different levels. In Gentle Fluidity Silver, he decided to increase the freshness, the juniper, uh, you know, the, the juniper berries, etc. And in the gent- Gentle Fluidity Gold, he decided to increase more of the sweet notes in the scent and make it more solar. I wear the gold. Some would say, oh, gentle fluidity gold is feminine. Others would say it's masculine. It's at the end of the day, it's your decision. We came up with a fragrance wardrobe that allows you to choose freely every day the scent that would empower you, the scent that would fit your personality every day and make you happy. Uh, And this is what we try to achieve. We're not trying to sell you a dogma we're not trying to, to tell you. A lot of our customers say, I haven't yet found my signature scent. And there is this idea that, you know, without your signature scent, you don't really have a personality. Well, do you have a signature haircut? Do you wear a signature makeup? Do you wear a signature skirt uh, just to have a personality? No, you, you are, we are, I am, for example, as an individual, very, much more diverse than that. Some days I want to be very elegant. Some days I'm going to a black tie. Some days I want to cry and be perfectly fine with my feminine side. Some days I want to fight. Some days I want to be business-driven. And perfume is this invisible accessory that makes me connect with my feelings on a given day the same way I choose my outfit the same day I you know, receive emotions from my mood. Perfume is there to amplify all that in a very beautiful fashion. So what we believe in is the freedom to choose whoever you want to be.
0: And do you feel like this is pushing the needle in the mainstream luxury fragrance world, do you think we'll see a world someday where fragrances aren't labeled as men's and women's?
1: Do you think skirts will disappear? Do you, do you think suits will disappear? I, I don't know. I don't. I hate it when we narrow things only to one category. Do you think lipstick are going to become maids one day? I have no idea. As I told you, two hundred years ago, men would wear lipstick. Maybe tomorrow, culturally, things would evolve and change. What is more, the, the most important to me is, again, to feel confident enough to wear whatever you want to wear without anyone judging you. And this is what we aspire to build. This is the world that I want to build in. I want to re- build in a very inclusive and in a very beautiful world where we are all perfectly equal. In terms of opposing you know, the, the, the wider audience market to the more luxury market, you also have to define luxury because a lot of people you know, think that luxury is only about the price, that luxury is only about selectivity. Luxury is also about the genius of creativity. Luxury is also about the quality and the durability of a product. Luxury is about the experience and the quality of the experience that you receive and how uplifting it is. And it's an ecosystem that is around you. It could be simple things. It could be more elaborate things. It could be very expensive or expensive, it's expensive because it takes time. It's expensive because it requires very unique talent. It's expensive because it requires very beautiful and very unique ingredients. And it's the combination of all that that makes it rare and hence the price point is higher. But again, is price only the reflection of luxury or of quality or of what goes in it. When you buy a Picasso painting for 10 million or 20 million or a Francis Bacon painting for 120 million, what are you buying? Are you buying the pigments and the frame and the canvas? Or are you buying a piece of the genius of creativity of Picasso? And the way I look at the market, I don't consider, I don't oppose, you know, limited distribution to mass market. I tend to oppose more creative to marketing-driven. Marketing-driven is more concept-based. Is more... Playful, it's beautiful, it could be really genuine and great, but it's still an invention by marketing of a concept. A bottle, a celebrity, a story that are fabricated at the purpose of bringing joy and creating an emotion. Creative-driven is very different. It is generated by the genius of creativity. It is generated by someone that masters a craft that has a unique ability and that comes with something that is extremely striking, and that would generate emotion and that would generate question and that would generate interaction. And sometimes creative ideas without any effort and without any marketing can become global phenomenon. And this has happened to us with one of our scents. The the story of our iconic Baccarat Rouge 540 is simply the reflection of the genius of creativity of Francis Gurdjieff. When we launched it, we... Didn't spend a penny on marketing. We didn't have a celebrity, you know, as a face of, for for the franchise. It was not mass marketed. It was only available at Neiman Marcus. Yet people would stop you on the street. People would come across the smell and feel something that is so unique, so new, so extraordinary that they would want to be a part of that. And today, it's one of the best selling scents in the world. And I. You know, I haven't commissioned any celebrity. I haven't paid anyone. It was a phenomenon on TikTok. I haven't even sent one product to, to all of those 200 million people that decided to celebrate the emotion that they felt when they were facing or wearing Baccarat Rouge. And this is what makes us unique. It is again that we are organized in a way to be profoundly and genuinely creative. And to allow this momentum where someone as talented as Francis can have the freedom to come up with something as beautiful as Baccarat Rouge 540 without any commitment, without any obligation, without any marketing plan. Because this scent was not meant to be. It wasn't on our marketing plan. We were not thinking that one day it would be this phenomenon. It was supposed to be 250 bottles, limited edition, for the 250th anniversary of Baccarat Rouge.
0: Yeah, I definitely wanted to get into the story of this fragrance. So when did you realize this could be a bigger thing? You said you created the limited edition. Did you want to just tell the story of the start of that and when you realized it could be something bigger?
1: It started in 2012. Francis was hosting a little party uh, at his then apartment and uh, he came to me laughing. We were all having fun. And he said, you know, in two years' time, in three years' time, it's the 250th anniversary of the Crystal House of Baccarat, one of the most iconic, one of the most beautiful lifestyle uh, crystal maker in the world. And we both appreciated the craftsmanship, the beauty of this house. And I said, this would be fantastic. And he said, you know, I would love to be able to interpret the smell, the scent of crystal. You need to, you know, it, you need fire, you need water, you need air through the blow of the craftsman, you need all of the elements to be able to create this product that elevates the experience. When you drink champagne, wine, or water in a crystal glass, it's, it's not the same as drinking wine in a, in a normal glass. It, the light is beautiful. The, the weight is beautiful. Everything is more magical. And so in 2012, we decided to go and meet them, and, and they were not interested. Nothing happened. And we had to wait another two years where uh, the House of Baccarat appointed a new CEO. Her name was Daniela Riccardi. And Daniela decided to meet with Francis and I. She had heard about us and the Maison was already becoming more successful. And she wanted to understand a bit more the world of fragrances. She herself had the intention to explore opportunity for the brand name Baccarat to to, to be able to express, you know, uh, the brand name in the field of, of fragrance creation. And so we 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 told her, you know, Daniela, it's funny that you contact us because back in 2012, we had this dream. Next year, it's going to be your 250th anniversary. She immediately said, yes, I would love to build with you this story. So it was supposed to be 250 limited edition bottles in crystal. Francis started working the name. He always starts working once he has a name and the name came out of a question that we asked them. He said, why is there a red crystal dot on every Baccarat chandelier? Why is red crystal your signature? And they said, because this was invented by Baccarat. In order to create red crystal, you have to heat the crystal at fusion point, which is 540 degrees Celsius, add 24 karat gold glitters in it, and it will naturally turn into red. And that's how the name immediately came to Francis. Rouge 540, which means red 540, is the temperature in Celsius degrees at which you need to heat the crystal to get to red. So the name was the starting point. A few days after, he gave me a little vial. And before going to the meeting, I sprayed the vial on my skin to experience it and to smell it. And on my way to uh, the meeting with Baccarat, the, the Uber driver stopped and looked at me and said, sir, may I ask you what are you wearing? And I just had a little spritz on my hand. And I said, can you smell it? He said, it's the most beautiful scent that I've ever come across. What is it? I said, it's just a a scent that we are working on and it doesn't exist. When we released it in the 250 uh, uh, Crystal Edition Limited, uh, in the U.S. I would go to William sonoma on Columbus Circle, and, and I remember very well the, the lady at the cash shop. I was number five in line, just stood up and said, hey, someone is smelling so incredibly delicious, I'm going to have to ask every one of you what you're wearing. And when I got to her, she said, it's you, what are you wearing? And I said, well, it's, it doesn't exist. It's just available at Bergdorf Goodman for $4,500 in a limited edition uh, crystal bottle. And, and of course, she was disappointed because she wanted to have it on, on the spot. And so... For me, it was something... I was witnessing something extraordinary. Neiman Marcus was harassing us. I remember the head of buying at Neiman's would call me every other day and say, listen, you gave me this little vial. It's just, I'm obsessed with it. My husband is obsessed with it. Everyone around me is obsessed with it. Why can't you release it? And so the idea, you know continued to to mature in my mind. And one day I went to Francis with the little label that you see I've put on my PowerPoint, the Baccarat Rouge 540 below. I've designed the little label and I went to him and I told him, what do you think about that? There is a lot of legitimacy. It's a beautiful story. It's a legitimate story. It's a beautiful house. He said, yeah, I like it as well. And then we took it to Baccarat and we released it in 2016 at Neiman Marcus. Uh, The first production batch was 6,000 bottles. We thought that this batch would last for at least six months. It was sold in less than a month. And uh, today, you know, all of our audience knows about the COVID situation and the R in COVID. You know, when you have an R2, it means every person has, you know, carries the risk of giving COVID to two other. Well, Baccarat Rouge 540 maybe has an R of 20. Every person that is wearing the scent and walks down the street or or goes to a party is going to get 20 questions about, you know, what are you wearing? At least at the beginning of the story. And that's how it went organic. That's how it went uh, very big. And I think also people love the story. They love the fact that it was not fabricated. They love the fact that it was something that started seeding in Francis's mind back in 2012, that this thing was not meant to be, yet this thing is so amazingly beautiful. This thing is so amazingly unique. It's a new, actually, it's a new category in the scent feed. It's a new family of scent because usually sweet scents are very heavy and light scents are not very powerful. And Baccarat Rouge has this very strong yet very light airness and sweetness in it that makes it an, a standalone family in perfumery on its own. And, and that's what I love about, uh, you know, Francis and, and his genius of creativity.
0: There's no celebrity face of the fragrance, but celebrities obviously love it. We've read about a whole range of celebrities using it, like Drake and Olivia Rodrigo. Do you gift it out to celebrities, or how do they come across it?
1: Our celebrity is Francis Grigel, Uh and, and, and we love that uh, celebrities are using the brand, but we also love that people like me or or that Mr everybody is using the brand and 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 this is very precious for us. I love the idea that someone very famous comes across the brand and decides freely to wear the brand, the same way I decide freely to listen to music and to decide that I appreciate this artist. Mm-hmm. And and there in on our end, there has been a big effort to show the artistry of the Maison. We love creating influence through storytelling, for example. Since day one, we do artistic conversations. We do not sponsor advertising with celebrities. We do not sponsor adver- advocacy with anyone else than natural conversation between different forms of creativity and talents. Mm-hmm. Before starting the Maison, Francis did installations in Versailles where he took fragments out of the bottle into gigantic installations to showcase that fragrance is also a form of artistic expression. What we love is uh, well, a few weeks ago we were in Vienna where Francis collaborated with Cyril Test, the set designer, on an opera called Salome, where uh, you know he created the scent design for the first time in history at the Vienna Opera House, Vienna Opera House for the opera Salome. Uh, I love when he does a conversation with Klaus Michaela interpreting music through scent and vice versa, where Klaus was interpreting you know playing music based on the smell that he was. Uh, receiving from Francis. And Francis was creating a scent based on the music that Klaus was, was playing. It, in our maison, we value the genius of creativity. We value conversation between different forms of art. We value genuinity. Our team is our number one asset. The experience is the most beautiful experience. And we feel that if celebrities like, you know, I read in Elle, I'm not revealing anything that is not, mentioned by celebrities themselves. If Serena William, which I adore, which is one of my heroes, wears Aqua Universalis, it is, to me, incredible. It is beautiful, but it is unsolicited, which makes it even more a gift to us. It, it makes it unique. When famous people wear our fragments, it is a recognition that we've done a, a good job. But it doesn't please us. To learn that only celebrities are wearing our perfumes. It pleases us. Then when every customer walks into our counter or our boutique and leaves with a smile on her or his face and has lived a little moment outside of time and end up going home with a beautiful scent that matches their personality. So we're more about the experience. We're more about the story. We're more about that. And I think this is what celebrities appreciate. And this is why they wear uh, the brand.
0: So you would never use a celebrity in ads ever. Is that totally off the table or is there a possibility we could see it in the future? Obviously, you're with LVMH, which has a lot of brands that have celebrity faces. What do you think? Could that ever be a possibility?
1: You know, what people don't know about LVMH is that the success of LVMH is due to the fact that it's a creative powerhouse. Unlike most of our competitors, we are a group that is not made of business units and entities. It is made of independent companies, independent, creative. We call them maisons. There are 70 plus maisons that are run by independent CEOs that have the full authority on their own PNL. It is a group that has hired, has currently at play and will hire in the future some of the greatest talent that we have known. Uh, And and what makes the power of our group and of LVMH, it is the freedom to create and the freedom to be an entrepreneur and the combination of both. And this is how our company was able to prosper in the past seven years. We've been almost a little, we're, we're a little north of six years now within LVMH. We've multiplied our sales by 16 and our profit by even more. And it was simply because of a beautiful ecosystem that pulls you up. It's an ecosystem that teaches you things that accelerate talent acquisition, but it's not an ecosystem that will tell you what to do. So LVMH will never come to me and say, hey, Mark, hey, Francis, you should use a celebrity because this is what we do at LVMH. Every brand does what is best for. for for the brand. And so for us today, we do not use celebrity because we do not see value in using celebrity. We do not see value in trying to get recognition through the paid endorsement of someone that we appreciate. The natural endorsement has so much more value so our advertising is more about the story, it's more about the, you know, we, we just released a beautiful new campaign for Baccarat Rouge. We used a very strong talent in terms of video making because we loved the way that talent, his name is uh, Patrick Claire does filming and how he does, you know, he captures the light in a very magical momentum. And for us, this was a perfect match with uh, the story of Baccarat Rouge 540. However, we are, very proud to invest in artistic conversation. We are very happy to sponsor the creation of the Perfumer Garden in Versailles. So instead of allocating huge budgets to support endorsement by celebrities, we'd rather create momentums for beautifully creative, uplifting moments that are open to everyone. Endorsing and working with the Chateau de Versailles on creating the perfumer garden was a fabulous adventure. It is in the Triano Estate. It's a place that is out of this planet. It's a place where you enter and you have this, the, the positive weight of history, the positive weight of time. You enter in something that is so beautiful. And then you have a garden that will have all of the aroma and plants and flowers that perfumers used to grow and use at the time of the kings and queens of France to-do perfume. It is very educational, it is very poetic, it corresponds perfectly to what we do. We love engaging in artistic artistic conversation, where Francis, you know, as I said earlier, will work with Cyril Test or the Labec sister or Klaus Matella in order to, uh, to create moments that add emotion and authenticity to our journey and to our brand. So as far as I know, based on my knowledge of the company today and our level of maturity and what we do on a day-to-day with Francis, we do not intend to go through celebrity endorsement. On certain markets that we have just opened, for example, in China, it is a trend. And our teams in China are, you know, very well versed into using, you know, KOLs in order to make the brand a bit more, known to the public. Our strategy with Francis is going to be fine at the beginning. If they think this is the way forward, we're gonna support them, but we know that eventually this is not gonna be the way forward. We know that eventually our influencing strategy in China is going to be what we have done elsewhere, which is to create meaningful art collaboration, art conversation, meaningful journeys for our customers to appreciate. And these has to be legitimate. They cannot be paid. You cannot really build genuinity, you cannot build sustainability, you cannot build beautiful stories that are genuine, authentic, and truly luxurious by paying someone to fabricate them for you. At least for Maison Francis-Purgeon, it doesn't work this way.
0: And what did the LVMH acquisition mean for the brand's expansion? Like you mentioned, you launched in China. What was the impact of that acquisition in reaching these new markets and scaling
1: the brand? it was fundamental. It's a, it's a beautiful group that has allowed us to accelerate our learning curve. It's almost as if, you know, you plugged our brain into a system that started downloading so much knowledge. And every day we meet so many smart people, people that are uplifting and kind because they share knowledge with us, they accelerate. And, and humble at the same time, with, because they would never tell you, you know, this is what you should do. They could plant a seed in your mind, they can challenge you, but they will never, you know, step in your shoes and tell you this is what you have to do. Of course, we are accountable in terms of our success, we are accountable in terms of our numbers, and it's very healthy to be accountable, but we're totally free in the way we manage the company and in the way we create for the company. LVMH is a fabulous ecosystem that has some of the greatest talents out there but they also have some of the greatest infrastructures out there so when we decide to open china it's easier than when you're on your own it's they, they already have people there they already have talents they already have warehouses they already have operations they know china inside out so for a small company like ours that is venturing into a new territory it makes life much you know much easy much easier they also helped us, you know, become more sophisticated in our operations, in our supply chain, in, in many areas of the company. They made us stronger in the way we deal with communication, in the way we build the brand and communicate about the brand, in the way we create our campaigns. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful ecosystem and very effective.
0: What is your biggest market internationally right now?
1: The USA. And it has always been, it's, it's by design. Uh, as I told you, the day we opened our boutique in Paris, the next day we traveled to the US to open Beverly Hills, Chicago with Neiman Marcus and New York with of Goodman. I have slept uh, a, a very important number of nights on my friend's couch as a young entrepreneur, uh, renting cars and going to stores uh, uh, to open, to do, to do the VM, hire product specialists, train them uh, and then uh, organize with them PAs for Francis to come and meet with our customers. I would also do masterclasses and luncheons and breakfasts. And we've built a beautiful and very cohesive team in the U.S. Our leader in the U.S. is a a fantastic woman. Her name is Jennifer Robinson. She's been with Neiman Marcus in the past. And we, we have, I'm very proud today because when I look at my team in the U.S., I think I have the most fabulous, the smartest, the leanest, and the most effective team on the field. And I don't think that. I think our competitors and the industry in general knows that because with this little team, we were able to build Maison francis Argent to becoming the number one three-axis brand at Neiman's and Sachs, the number two uh, three-axis or number three three-axis brand at Blooming's and number one fragrance brand at Bloomingdale's. And Maison francis Argent today in the ranking of scents is number five women's scent in the US, despite the fact that we only have 140 doors. With only 140 doors on, on a market that has thousands of doors in, when it comes to beauty, we, we, we reach number five women scent in the U.S. So my team is also one of our greatest pride with Francis and one of our biggest assets. They are simply extraordinary. And, and we learn so much from them. And it's, uh, it's beautiful to have them.
0: So I wanted to wrap up with talk of plans for future growth. First of all, tell me about your product pipeline. This interview will be running on the day of a launch of your newest fragrance. Tell us about that.
1: Our fragrance that will be released in June is called Aqua Media. Media is in the middle uh, because at the middle of the rainbow, there's a color and that color is green. And what inspired Francis for this new opus in our Aqua Collection, in our Aqua Cologne 40 Collection, was the immensity of nature and a very open green field where you can almost smell nature, you know, into your lungs in a very heating and soothing uh, way. It's very sparkling, it's, it's very fresh, it's a beautiful summer scent, but it can also be enjoyed, you know, around the clock all year long. It is uh, part of uh, the, the, the aqua collection for us is a celebration of light and water. And the interaction between light and water. It started back in 2009 with Aqua Universalis. It grew into Aqua Celestia, which is a heavenly freshness, and then Aqua Vitae, which is the, 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 the warmth and the beauty of life. Uh, and then this, th- these three uh, are now uh, being joined by a new opus called Aqua Media that will be released in the month of June. As I told you, we do have marketing plans. Uh, thankfully, we, the, the AquaMedia was part of our marketing plan since two years. It was finalized on time. Uh, we have other launches to come in the future as well. Next year, we have a beautiful launch in September. However, what I can tell you is that we've decided a long time ago to move away from massive launching. Our industry, the luxury high-end fragrance, has become as promotional and as impulsive in terms of the rhythm of launches as the mass market. Some brands are throwing novelty on the market every other day. How can you build your brand when you keep introducing new sense? So newness will make what you have today old, and you keep replacing something with something new. So we've moved away five years ago from newness. And what happens is that we release something genuinely new every three, four years. And the rest are more newness that comes within our existing franchise for example when I told you about a la Rose and we added' a la Rose within the a Rose fragrance this is the aqua collection we're adding aqua media as part of the wider aqua collection so we believe that what is made with time is respected by time and that in order for you to build a beautiful luxury house you cannot build a beautiful luxury house over two or three years, you need years and years and years. And I hope that we are still, and I know that we are still at the beginning of our journey and we have so much more to accomplish, but I believe that we can only accomplish that with the respect, respect of creativity and its freedom and respect of time because only with time you can do beautiful things and respect of our team because without human genius and human talent, you can't do anything.
0: Well, I think that wraps up the interview for today. And as Mark mentioned, the new fragrance should be out today when this podcast runs. Mark, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Liz. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thanks for tuning in the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.